make my Sunday morning. Be a nuisance when it counts. Do your part to inform and stimulate the public to join your action. Be depressed, discouraged, and disappointed at failure and the disheartening effects of ignorance, greed, corruption, and bad politics. But never give up. Those are the words of Marjorie Stoneman Douglas, which may be a name that resonates, because that's the name of the high school in Parkland, Florida, where the shootings took place. And so after those shootings, some of her um, wise words have been brought forth. Why was the high school named after this woman who was a, a journalist and an activist? And she kind of single-handedly is the one who um, said, you know, the Everglades are important. No, 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 don't drain them and cement over them. They are an essential ecosystem. It's all connected. Never give up. Because she was pushing against a lot of corporate interest. So those students who went to Washington, and I understand that was the largest rally in Washington. Is that true? I look forward to finding out if that was true. I went to the one here in Tulsa, and it was inspiring and what she had to say what the students I don't know if you've watched what some of those students said those are our leaders we are in such good hands Whew. but what they're doing is our theme for the month is love and what they're doing is Willingness to take a stand and be responsible for others. Now, those students are scared for their own lives, but what they're doing is saying, what I want, which is safety, and to be able to be educated in a place that is um, comfortable and safe and has integrity, I want that for me, but I want that for everyone, and I'm willing to step out travel to D.C., travel to downtown Guthrie Green and be there. Take my body and be there. I'm going to be in service to love. So, for me, there were three things about the march. It means, what's it like to follow the young? These people who are passionate and are very clear. I tend to get passionate and then see all the other sides of things. And they say that's a matter of aging, that we kind of, oh, I can see all the possibilities. But they're like, no, this is, this is very clear. And they were making political theater what it means to have over a thousand people in the Guthrie Green or the largest gathering uh, in, the D in D.C. 
is political theater. It's the power of human beings showing up and saying, this is important. Political theater. And then what it means to be responsible for others. So I'm taking on Palm Sunday. I don't know how many of you here, but I know many of you were raised in a Christian tradition. And for me, growing up, Palm Sunday was um, fun. I thought it was about wearing cool things made of palm and reeds and um, reenacting a fun parade. But I've come to realize that it was really, really smart political theater led by someone who was pretty darn young, early 30s, who had been doing this all along. So this wasn't his first political theater act. So the readings, the two readings, the, the Gospel of Mark, Mark, whoever wrote the Gospel of Mark, it is the first recording, the earliest writing about what happened on Palm Sunday or Passover. It was Passover at the time. And, um, and we do have to think differently, although the parallels to our day and age are astonishing. So that early first century in Jerusalem... The cities were where the wealth was concentrated. Most of the wealth came from people who were working the fields. And there wasn't a lot of factory, or, there was no factory or industry. There were artisans creating things. But the wealth was concentrated in the city, and there were villages, tenant farmers in essence, growing grains, creating the wealth that allowed the larger cities to exist. So the two scholars that you heard Claudia read, John Dominic Crossan and Marcus Borg, they are historians who've looked into the history, what, what really was going on back then, and how much can we rely on the Bible, how much of, of that is history, or how much of it is really an effort to create a movement. Really, is what it is, to create a movement. So... Jesus was doing really smart political theater. He knew that the empire, Pontius Pilate, was going to be parading into the city, a military parade. Is that a phrase that resonates with us today? Someone of wealth and power who wants to have a military parade to let us know it is he he is powerful, just as Pontius Pilate brought a military parade in. So Jesus was smart, said, okay, I'm going to do the same thing, but I'm going to come in from this side, and I'm not going to have a lot of pomp and circumstance. In fact, so, so here's what's interesting about the Gospel of Mark. It's all about the tail end, this last week of Jesus' life, and you know when something extraordinary happens in your life? in particular a death, because I'll tell you the end of the story, Jesus 
gets crucified. I hate, I hate to blow your bubble about Easter, but, um, and Good Friday. Um, but when something like that happens, when something monumental happens in our nation or in your life, time slows down. And the Gospel of Mark does all that biblical stuff of telling stories quickly, just little anecdotes and little hints of what the story is, and then Mark slows way down and goes morning, night, day one, day two. So Palm Sunday is day one, and he tells us this weird detail that Jesus tells his disciples, go into this village, which would be where the poor are living, taking care of crops and fields and animals. And get me, it's, this translation said colt. Other translations say donkey. But what he's asked for is a ride that is not an imperial ride. So it slowed way down to let you know this detail that he is putting all the pieces in place for grand political theater. He's going to come in the exact same way Pontius Pilate is, except there won't be gold, and there won't be fabulous bird feathers and ornate armaments and horses with armature and woven cloth. No, it's going to be Jesus sitting on a a little tiny four-legged something clomping in, making fun of Pontius Pilate. It's about wanting to make change. And so the fact that he's coming into Jerusalem, where the wealth is, and the whole rest of Holy Week is about Jesus overturning the tables, making clear that wealth is concentrated in a way that is detrimental to all others. The way our students gathered and said, how we are living our lives and arming ourselves is detrimental to all others. We want to be responsible in love for ourselves and others. So I want to reframe Palm Sunday for those of us who are in this institution that says, well, I'm not a Christian, but we are culturally Christians, and there are Millions around us who are going to be celebrating Palm Sunday today and paying attention to all of the rest of the story of Jesus as he is coming into Jerusalem, has the Last Supper, um, is betrayed and crucified. And then we will come back on Easter and talk about what it means on Easter. I won't, I won't lead you ahead. <laughs> so what he's doing, Jesus, on Palm Sunday is pushing against the domination system, and he's using religious imagery. In fact, he knows that his Jewish audience, so in, in the Hebrew Bible, in the Torah, one of the prophets, Zechariah, prophesizes that the next Messiah is going to be coming in by a donkey. So none of this is random. He's being really smart. 
I made a wacky promise that I would bring together what it means to have Palm Sunday and the fact that we're in the middle of a pledge drive, which I think is the same effort to be responsible in love, not only for yourself, but for others. Um, And I don't want to get into specifics about pledging. What I want to talk about is what it means to be part of a larger community. And we live in a culture dominated by wealth that's very consumer-driven. And we tend to think of membership like being a member of the Audubon Society or any other nonprofit as something I'm buying. I'm buying a piece of this. So by pledging, I should have a say in things I don't like and things I do like. And I'm going to make the case that if you don't like what Hope Church is doing or what we stand for, you should pledge. Because... Because that's the only way to change things, is to say, I am committed to this institution, and I want it to go in this direction. And if you believe in what we're doing, you should pledge. And it is a disruption of that consumer, I want this toothpaste, not that toothpaste. I want this car, not that car. It is awkward to talk about because it is money. It's the same vehicle. It's the same currency that we use for our consumer society. But it is what enables us to gather. It is what enables us to say, you know what? We are concerned about what is happening socially, politically. And we know that by gathering and by showing our might as a people, that we can make change. Just as Jesus knew, by gathering those along Jerusalem and making a statement, he is still speaking to us today. How's that for political theater? And the young people who marched and the adults who showed up to support them, oh, please, may their stand be heard and may they continue to stand. And so that's what pledging here means. Please help us continue into the next 50 years. Please help us take a stand. I sat in this morning with our youth as they started writing their credos and we went through a list of questions. And it was so exciting to watch them think and dig through, so what do you really believe? And not believe in the sense of, is there a God or not a God? Um, But when the stakes are low, when you're in no crisis, if you can reflect on your life, what guides it? And then look back at those times when things have been hard, and if you made a choice and you go, 
I did that because I believe in family, community, my friends. Or maybe you'll look and go, you know what? I made a decision that was really counter to what I realize, having done this exercise, I now believe. Which is what we do here. We make room for mistakes. We all break the covenant that we made to each other. And what matters is that you come back and try again. We do not expect perfection, which is why you can pledge whether you like us or not. Because we are going to be as imperfect as it comes. We are. And we're going to acknowledge that we're imperfect, and we're going to acknowledge that we screwed up. We may go away for a little while and lick our wounds and go, well, it was all their fault. Well, I played, wait, I played a role in it. Okay. I'll take responsibility for my part in it. That is the power of what we do here together. And that is what being in service with love means. Some of you think you come here for yourself. But you who show up, show up for everyone else. It would not be fun if you were the only one that showed up. Right? Um, This notion of taking responsibility for others, I was captive in a car going to Tennessee last week with my family. I had brought a book to listen to that I was going to impose on everyone, but my son, who happens to be quicker technologically, was the one who ruled the, the smartphone and what we listened to. Luckily, most of his musical tastes are pretty interesting. But he's now reached that young adult age where he's listening to some pretty serious things and forced two books upon us. One was Sam Harris's book on lying. It was great. I recommend it. And the other was Sebastian Junger's book called Tribes. So Junger is a journalist who has written about war, and uh, he wrote A Perfect Storm. He's interested in what it means when, when the stakes are high, what choices you make. And so this particular book is kind of a reflection on, wait, people who are in the military who are in situations where they take responsibility for each other in a way that is, um, I was going to say life-saving. It's it, you, Your platoon, your group becomes the most important thing. You take responsibility for them no matter what. But then when they come back to the United States... That's not the case anymore. We are this individualistic, consumeristic, it matters what toothpaste, what house, what car I drive, but not what happens in my neighborhood. And he talks about PTSD and that disconnect. When we don't take responsibility for others. He tells a story about hitchhiking. The awful part about being a minister is you end up confessing things you don't mean to. And his story about hitchhiking resonated because I had the exact same experience, hitchhiking. He was hitchhiking in the 80s. I was in the 70s. But he was 
young man on an adventure and uh, in Colorado on an uh, on-ramp with his thumb out, everything on his back, you know, looking a little crummy. And a ride wasn't coming. So a man in clothes that clearly had been worn for weeks on end, you know, shiny to the point, dirty and shiny to the point of having been slept in for who knows how long, walks up to him and asks him if he has any food. So what's going through Junger's mind at that point is, oh my God, here comes someone who's really hungry, who's going to rob me, steal from me. And quickly he says, uh, no, all all I have is a tiny bit of cheese. He lies, because he has what he needs on his back. And the homeless man says, I have something for you, and gives him his last bit of food. It's a sandwich and some crackers and stuff, and then walks away. And Junger says, I have never forgotten that encounter because this was someone who was taking responsibility for me, no matter how much they had. Jesus, the students, us, when we show up on Sunday and also when we pledge our resources so that we can continue to show up and be responsible for each other. That's how I tie them all together. It is service in love is what we're doing here. And we won't do it perfectly, but that love makes room for us. I was going to ask you to consider those of you who have pledged to add 10 more dollars a month to your pledge, 120 bucks. And if you haven't pledged, all right, come on, do it. (laughs) And to also consider adding $120 for the year. Because with $12,000, there are about 100 of us here. We have some changes in staff. The UUA has said that we need to give everyone a 4% um, raise in um, cost of living. We've increased some of our, the, our hospitality and training. So $10 from each of us each month would allow us to be even more responsible for each other. How does that sound? And just as I was reading and researching for this, I want to end with a poem by Alberto Rios. He's um, an Arizona resident, poet, poet laureate. Um, He now is the chancellor for the American Academy of Poets. And it's called When Giving is All We Have. One river gives its journey to the next. We give because someone gave to us. 
We give because nobody gave to us. We give because giving has changed us. We give because giving could have changed us. We've been better for it. We've been wounded by it. Giving has many faces. It's loud and quiet. Big, though small. Diamond in wood nails. Giving has many faces. Its story is old, the plot worn, and the pages, too. But we read this book anyway over and again. Giving is first and every time, hand to hand, mine to yours, yours to mine. You gave me blue, I give you yellow. Together we are simple green. You gave me what you did not have, and I gave you what I had to give. Together we made something greater from the difference. May it be so.